I believe worship is the whole gamut. It's, it's the silence, the security of knowing that he's here, and it's the exuberance, it's the celebration, it's the loudness, it's the peace, it's the calm, it's all of those things. There is a charging in the spirit. There's a filling of our spiritual tanks, so to speak. This is pulling into the filling station and filling us with his presence to empower us to run what is before us this week. And so I'm excited to be here with you today. We've been talking in a series called Dig Down Deeper, examining just a few of what the Word would give us in probably 27 different spiritual disciplines. We've looked at the major ones. We talked about the yoke of the Lord in Matthew 11. Jesus said to a bunch of very, very legalistic religious people, you're weary, you're worn, slap out. Come to me, I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this morning, in the principle of the yoke, we're learning to follow Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did so that we can walk in the strength and the anointing and the power that Jesus did. We've talked about prayer, the power of prayer, the principle of prayer, the Word of God, putting it first, giving it attention. Today is number four. We're going to be talking about passionate worship for just a few moments. Next Sunday, I'm going to be talking to you about fasting, about giving up something for a temporary season, whether it's for a few days or a few weeks or whatever, whether it's the news or social media or it's food or whatever you're abstaining from for the purpose of devoting that time to praying And prayer and fasting together becomes exponentially more powerful. Jesus said, this kind comes only by, is driven out. And the answer to these prayers come by prayer and fasting. Uh, The last Sunday of the month on the 31st, we'll be talking to you about generosity with our time, our talent, and our treasure. All right, so we're jumping in today with number four in Dig Down Deeper. Dig Down Deeper is this series where we're talking about pursuing the spiritual disciplines that Jesus did so we can walk in the anointing that Jesus walked in, so we can have the communion that Jesus had with the Father. They're not, they're not activities that we do to earn God's favor. They're activities that we do to help us in the middle of all of the distracting voices around us and our own flesh from screaming at us to be able to bring them into alignment with the Word of God and the will of God so that we can be careful to discern what is the voice of the Lord in our lives, okay? And so this morning, we're talking about passionate worship, worship that is sacrificial. We're going to explain that in just a moment. I am going to forego the Matthew 11 passage that we normally read in our series, but just jump right into John chapter 4. Two verses, John chapter 4 Verses 23 and 24. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Everybody say now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Say those two things. Spirit and truth. The Father is looking for. 
looking for. The King James says, the Father seeketh such. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Everybody say, that way. Okay, and last verse, 24, it says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, and then he states it again in 24. What is that way? Spirit and truth. Spirit is flow. Truth is form. Spirit is spontaneous. Truth is structure. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said that there are those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Nothing wrong with the form. We have a form in here. We, we do things a certain way here at Victory. But in the middle of that form, I don't just want truth, but I want spirit. It takes both. We need a full recognition of both of those elements when we worship God, because the Father is after that. He wants something that has a flow and something that has a form, something that is spontaneous and something that has a structure. I grew up a Pentecostal, and I'm very grateful for my heritage. Um, there was a season when I was in that, it was really all about an experience, and it was about the Spirit, and it was all about the moving of the Holy Ghost. And I'm grateful for that. But there was a season in my life where the Lord swung the pendulum away from that into um, more of a side where there is truth and a foundation that was laid in my life. I had a Bible revival. I could not put the Bible down my freshman year of college. I read through the whole Bible that first year and through the New Testament twice. And I memorized numerous scriptures walking out of my dorm room with a three-by-five card in my pocket and in between classes, would just look at that card, and sometimes on a long sidewalk between a couple of buildings and nobody around, I would, under my breath, mutter those verses, because that's what the word meditate means in the Bible. We talked about that on our, in our prayer uh, message during this series on spiritual disciplines. And so, I, I had a season where the Bible came alive, the Word of God, the structure, the truth. And I, I, I want you to realize that we, we desperately need both the, the form and the flow. We need the spirit and the truth. We need the spontaneity of the move of his spirit, and we need the structure of the truth of his word. It takes both of those things. And I learned the importance of having both of those in this little saying, and that is, all spirit and no truth, you blow up. All truth and no spirit, you dry up, but spirit and truth, you grow up. Are you hearing me? You can go to some churches this morning that are heavily emphasizing the spirit side, and it's all about an experience. It's experiential, and don't, do not ever let anybody talk you out of an experience because the new birth is an experience. Until you have experienced the new birth, you're not saved. Jesus said you must be born again, John 3 Verse 3, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, except you be born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the new birth is an experience. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is an experience. But when all we ever emphasize in a church service is an experience, then many times we are a little bit shallow when it comes to the truth of the word of God. There's a great 
Reformed theological professor that told a friend of mine who was a charismatic leader a number of years ago. He, he spoke to him and he said, you know what, you guys, you charismatics have a great ability. You really are in touch with the fire of God. He said, we can build a beautiful fireplace out of the, the glorious blocks of the sovereignty of God and the grace of God, the mercy and the loving kindness of our Father, the, the blood of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, these powerful truths that which we lay the foundation of our walk in God on. He said, we can build a beautiful fireplace, but too often among our movement, there's not any fire in the fireplace. And he said, my observation among your movement, talking to my charismatic friend, is, is that a lot of times it's just wildfire running rampant, and wildfire can burn things down that you don't want to burn down. It's a shame if you build a beautiful house and have a centrally located fireplace that's, that's, that's erected with glory and beauty, and, 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 and you might even describe it as majestic. And you look back at it, but it won't burn a fire. The, 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 the draw on it is not right. So it has to be built properly. And there, there's nothing more a shame to have a beautiful house and it be cold because there's no fire in the house. And, and, and we don't want to just build a glorious structure of our truth and doctrine. Don't be afraid of that word. It's a good word. It's not popular right now in the late 20th, early 21st century because it's just associated with people that are dogmatic. I do not want to be doctrinaire, but I am never going to back up from the truth that doctrine brings. Doctrine very simply just means teaching, and that's what I'm doing right now. I am, don't be afraid of it, this is another word that's become negative, I am indoctrinating you. doesn't mean I'm brainwashing you, but I'm providing you with what something means, then you can make your own decision. So this morning, as we bring teaching, we are thankful for the form that truth brings, but we also need the flow that the Spirit provides. I want a home. I want a house. I want this house of the Lord to have a central fireplace that's built on the structure of the solid rock of the Word of God, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. But then I want a good old solid Holy Ghost fire right down in the middle of that fireplace because that's what will warm the house when it's cold outside. That's what will cook the meals when people are hungry. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. We need spirit and truth. We need form and flow. We don't need to have a form and deny the, the, the power. To have a form of godliness but to deny its power. We need the power. We need the character of God. But we also need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I'm not either or. I'm both. I want both. I want it all. I want more of the Lord. I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of Jesus moving and operating in my life. And so in order to do that, I recognize this morning that, that worship provides us something here. When we come in and enter in, and we don't just stand there like a frog on a log or like a Baptist deacon in the background, looks like he'd been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> been sucking on a persimmon two services long. How many of you know if you got some joy, some, some of you need to notify your face. <laughs> Let your face know you got some joy. I got one thing I want to bring it this morning. Worship is the overflow of a changed life producing sacrificial devotion, thanksgiving and praise for the goodness and greatness of God. One sentence, but it's a mouthful. 
Worship is the overflow of a changed life producing sacrificial devotion, thanksgiving and praise for the goodness and the greatness of God. God's goodness is what he's done for us. His greatness is his ability. His goodness is his character. And his greatness is his ability to do what he said he would do. His promise, his integrity that he would keep his word, and then how he demonstrates that in our lives. And we respond with gratitude. Thank you. We respond with praise. We respond with worship for who he is. And so worship is an overflow of a changed life. My life has come to him and it's been transformed. And because of that, I can offer worship to him. And this morning, I want to do what I always do because I need to hear myself say it and you need to hear me say it as I always do. Father, I need you. I need you right now more than I've ever needed you before. I need you in this service. I ask you by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that, Spirit of God, you would come and you would be the teacher. You would reveal truth. You are, you are called the spirit of truth. And I acknowledge that apart from you, I'm nothing, but I, in the same breath, I can say, God, I thank you that I'm no longer apart from you, but I'm joined to you. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Holy Spirit, be our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand and comprehend and perceive. Let the gospel penetrate hearts and change lives. We are careful to give you praise and worship and glory and honor that is due your name. In this place, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and everybody said. Worship is the overflow of a changed life producing sacrificial devotion, thanksgiving, and praise for the goodness and the greatness of God. Point number one, it's called the law of first mention. This is a hermeneutic principle. Hermeneutics, Hermes, was the messenger among the gods in Greek mythology. Now, that's been borrowed from that because so much of the scripture is in Hebrew and in Greek, then then the ability to interpret a message became hermeneutics, okay? It's the science of interpretation. We learned the importance of a text within a context. We asked questions. Who wrote it? What was happening when it was written? The political, social, economic circumstances of the day? Was there a natural disaster? Was there Pompeii and a volcanic eruption? Molten destroys a city? Was, was there 70 AD and the Roman general marches in and ransacks Jerusalem? Nero is, as they say, fiddling while Rome burned. You know, what's happening? When, when the book is written, who wrote the book? What was the purpose of the book? The message that I'm looking at, what's the chapter that it's in? What's the overall message of that chapter? What does that chapter mean in that larger book? How does that book fit in with all the other synthesized with the message of the whole of the Bible? Because the Bible is a collection of books. It is a canon. It is a group of 66 books written by 40 authors, over 40 authors, over a period of 1,500 years with a grand story, a meta-narrative, all about one who is coming, Yahshua HaMashiach. The whole Old Covenant is about the seed is coming, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. Right there in the garden where Adam and Eve sinned and the serpent lured them into and deceived them and they committed high treason against the God of heaven. God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day and in that spot while in that place, God made a promise to Adam's race. And he said... 
The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. That right there was the beginning. It's called the protoevangel. It was the coming of the gospeled one. It was the beginning of the announcement of one that would come that would destroy the curse. And it's the picture of Jesus. The seed is coming. The seed is coming throughout the whole Old Covenant. Genesis through the book of Malachi. The seed is coming. The seed is coming. The law, the Psalms, the prophets. The seed is coming. The seed is coming. He shows up in a, in a manger in Bethlehem through the Gospels. And the seed is here. The seed lives. The seed dies. Book of Acts. The seed is risen from the dead. The seed lives. All the epistles Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, all of those things that we could go on and list the epistles, the seed is speaking, the book of Revelation, the seed is reigning. It's all about one central figure, the seed, his name is Jesus Christ. And so we recognize this book and we, we learn these principles of hermeneutics, how to interpret something uh, correctly and the right way. And one of these key foundational principles in hermeneutics is called the law of first mention. The law of first mention is all about the very first time you see a word appear in the Bible, it is connected to a dominant understanding. It is establishing what the meaning of that word is going to be, and it will carry it all the way through Genesis, all the way through the book of Revelation. And so the first time the word worship is used in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 22. Does anybody remember what happened in Genesis 22? God had spoken to a, an Iraqi by the name of Abram. He was living in Ur of the Chaldees, worshiping the moon. And God tapped on the shoulder of a man by the name of Abram, and he had a beautiful wife, Sarai. And through the course of their history, over 25 years, God had made a promise to them and said that I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abram means exalted father, but there came a time where God showed up and he revealed himself to Abram and he added a ha to Abram and it became Abraham, Abraham, as we say in America, especially in the South, Abraham. And Sarai became Sarah. God added an ah, A-H, to her name. So God took Abraham's ha and Sarah's ah, aha, and he put them together. And a baby was born, which literally means laughter. Ha, ha. Isaac. Somewhere along the way, when you read the story from about Genesis 12 through about Genesis 22, uh, they were impatient, and Sarah came up with the idea that said, you know, you're old, I'm old, my, my, my womb is shut down, ain't nothing happening. Why don't you take my young handmaid, this Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, and see if maybe we can have a lineage through her, and perhaps God will bless. And so sure enough, Abraham said, really? So he and Hagar went to the tent, and sure enough, in a few months, Hagar was showing, and Abraham got his new strut on. He's going, boys, this old man still got it. And Abraham is walking around proud. His ego's just bent to bust over everybody. And God said, nope, that ain't how it's going to happen. So God changes Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah, and God births a baby, and God recognizes the promised child. And in Genesis 22, God had given Abraham a commandment that's very, very scary. 
He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, and go up to Moriah and there offer him as a sacrifice. God was going to test Abram, Abraham now, and see whether or not Abraham loved the God of the promise more than he loved the promise of God. The God of the promise is the one who provided Isaac. Isaac was the promise of God that God provided. And God does that in our lives sometimes to see if we're willing to lay down the thing that we've believed and prayed for or if we will love him more, the one who provided the source of our blessing or the blessing itself. What's more important to us? And let me just remind you that when God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. When God asks us a question or maybe perhaps lets us go through some circumstances that might test our hearts, it's not so he can find out what's in it. He's, it's so he can show us what's in our heart. So he can reveal to us what is the answer to the question that he's asking. So this is where we find in the story, in the law of first mention, where worship shows up, where Abraham takes his son, which by this point is a strapping teenager, we're not talking about an infant one-year-old that you could easily lay on an altar and strap down and raise a knife. This is a teenage boy because they walk up the side of the mountain together. And as a matter of fact, Isaac at one point in Genesis 22 says, Father, you have the knife, here's the wood, there's the fire, where's the sacrifice? And God prophetically speaks through Abraham and it's another picture. It's a tiny prophetic glimpse of the one who is coming he says, son, God will provide himself, hear it, God will provide himself the lamb. And God showed up himself in Jesus Christ who became the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. So go ahead and put it up. And so Abraham gives his servants some instructions. They have left their encampment, their tent. They were dwelling in tents in the land of Canaan, and it says, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther and we will say it, worship there, and then we what? We will come right back. Oh, I wish I, had, I, could, I could literally take another hour and just preach on those four lines right there. Oh, yeah, I bet you could, Pastor. No, I'm serious. Because there's so much faith of a future tied up in that. We're going to go up yonder and worship and we will come right back here. He knows he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Isaac doesn't know it yet. That's a whole different message in itself. For a teenager to willingly lay down on the altar, to believe in the God of his father enough to say, if I leave here, God will raise me back up. And the daddy believed that. We're going to go up there and worship and we will come right back here. Abraham was saying... If I actually have to follow through with this, God will raise him from the dead because he is the promise of God. Hebrews says that Abraham received Isaac in a figure resurrected. It was by faith. And so we recognize this morning that when you talk about worship from this point on in the Bible, it is inextricably connected to the concept of sacrifice. You don't just sing a song and call it worship. You don't just stand there like a knot on a log and think you're worshiping. Worship, first of all, is not just an activity we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just 3013I like so many churches in America do. Three songs, 
3013i. Three songs, an offering, one special, a three-point message, and an invitation. Three songs, an offering, one special, a three-point message, and an invitation. 3013i. You know, folk talk about having a spontaneous flow of the Spirit. And if anybody deviates from that 3013i, they think, oh my gosh, what's going on? People like form because form is predictable. Nothing wrong with form. I like form. So many places that form is critical. I'm in the gym, and to accomplish what I want in an hour's time, form is important. It's no longer about the teenage boy vanity thing where you're trying to sling up massive amounts of weight and just doing it any way you can to get it up. It's about taking a little bit of weight off that bar and doing it right so that you're actually stretching the fibers of your muscles and you're burning some fat and you're getting in better shape and your cardiovascular system is expanding. So form is important, but form without flow is dead. I don't just want to go through the motions. I don't just want to have a form. And people, let's not criticize the other groups. Let's not, let's not you know, cast stones and throw names where they are up, down, up, down, up, down, stop. You know what? We can have charismatic motions where we go through all the calisthenics and hop around and do everything and have a form and the Holy Ghost not even show up. I want the Spirit of God here. I know the Spirit of God is everywhere. That's, the, that's a key doctrine in the Bible. It's called the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere at all times in the fullness of his presence. But yet you know there's a difference when the manifest presence shows up in the spot you're in and it's so tangible that, that like, like Moses, you want to take your shoes off because you know that the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. It may be over a cup of coffee at the counter in your house at 5.45 in the morning before the rest of the kids wake up, opening the word, taking a moment to pray. It may be, it may be lying on the carpet beside your bed at 11 o'clock at night going, God, get a breakthrough in my marriage. Your wife and kids are out of town and you're going, God, I, I love this woman, but the fire's gone. We got a form, but there ain't no fire here. Help us, Lord. Bring some fire. Send revival. Anybody hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? And God shows up in that place and you get up from there knowing that something has happened. That there's been a breakthrough. And it's not just about having hair stand up on your arm. But when the presence of God, the manifest presence, comes into a place and it touches you in your own personal private prayer life. Or it comes into a corporate worship setting. And it transforms the lives of people and people are convicted of sin and they repent and they turn. And God heals hearts and he, 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 he puts a salve into relationships that have been bruised and wounded and hurt and people walk out of the place because the gospel, which is not just teaching, it's not just doctrine, but it's the spirit and the truth combined together. I'm thankful for the truth, but God, I need the Spirit. And oh, I'm thankful for the experience of the Spirit, but i got to have some truth. I want the fireplace, but I want a fire in it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a, say it, a living and what? 
There it is, a sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. Read it out loud. This is truly what? What did I tell you? Throughout the rest of Scripture, worship is inextricably linked to sacrifice. Now, lest you think that I'm just challenging you to move out of your comfort zone, which I would like some of you to do, certainly. You want to know how to worship? You go to the worship manual of your Bible. Open your Bible to the very center, the very heart of the word is the book of Psalms. It's 150 chapters talking about how we worship God. And oh, it is so raw. It is so real. David is, I had to edit because I didn't want to say it the way I thought it. David is ticked off. He's frustrated. He's aggravated. God, why are you letting my enemies get away with this stuff? God, why don't you show up in my life? And he's pouring out his frustration. And he's, he's in a state of depression in Psalm 42. And he's going, oh, my soul, why are you cast down? I will say to my soul, put your hope in God. And there's something that happens when I open the worship manual of the Bible and it talks to me about the importance of opening my mouth and singing to God and worshiping him and giving him praise. When God's done something for me, the natural response is gratitude to say thank you. Psalm 100 says, into his presence, the password is thank you. You want to get into the presence of God? Just say thank you. Come on. Some of you this morning, you woke up in your right mind. Some of you woke up in your right mind. But you know what? If you did thank God, thank you. You've got another day. You've got breath in your lungs. Yeah, but I've got this happening. Well, you know what? If you focus on the stuff that ain't right, you never will have any gratitude. There's always something that's going to get it. There's always going to be a fly in the ointment. You know, it's an amazing thing. When I begin to lift up praise to God, take the P off of praise, what's left? Raise. And it's amazing how when I get my focus off of my problems and I praise God for his goodness and his greatness, what it does is it will raise me up in my perspective. I will start to see those things from a different light, a different perspective. And when I can see something from a different perspective, faith can arise and victory can come and breakthrough can happen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Lest you think I'm talking about something you only do on Sunday morning, Paul makes it plain that this is not just an hour service on Sunday at 11 a.m. This is 24-7, 365. This is how you live your life. Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Sacrificially give your time and your talent and your treasure when you don't feel like it and you're lonely and you want a friend. Get out there and show yourself friendly to somebody else who needs a friend. You need some forgiveness? Give some forgiveness to somebody. Quit carrying that stupid grudge that somebody did you wrong 25 years ago. They done, for, they done been forgot about it 24 years ago and not thinking about it. And you're still carrying it. You're the one that's eat up with it. It's going to give you a disease in your body if you don't let that crap go. Sorry. Y'all get anything out of this? Greek word that dominates the New Testament for worship is the word 
proskuneo. It literally means to kiss towards. Oh, now, wait a minute, Pastor. That, that's too carnal. The Bible word for worship in the New Testament, the Greek word is proskuneo, which means to kiss towards. Scripture says in, in Matthew 28, when they saw him, they worshiped him. I don't think that means that the disciples were blowing kisses to Jesus. But I believe it's a heart yearning. It's something that is so hungry. We sang it this morning. We said, you know what? With all this amazing stuff around me, I just want you. I want you. My heart is hungry for you. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you, oh God, to show me the way. I don't want to stumble through life making a bunch of stupid mistakes. I want you to help me. Even when I fail, you redeem me and you lift it up and you show me, you teach me. I learn a lesson. Even when I fail, when I'm a believer, there's no such thing as failure. My life doesn't have to be marked by my past because it's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and I've got a, I've got a future in Christ and because of that, I, I kiss towards him. Some of you are still struggling with that. Psalm 2 says, kiss the son lest he be angry. And real worship is, is communion. It is spirit, soul, and body. It's my heart crying out to God. It's, it's lifting my voice and singing to him. It's clapping my hands when I'm excited and celebrating. It's lifting my hands and surrender. Oh, no, Pastor, I can't do that. I know, y'all, I see some people doing it in victory, but that's just not for me. That wasn't how I was raised. Well, praise God, grow up out of the way you were raised. We're not judging anybody by how high you raise your hands or none of that stuff, but I'll just tell you, you know what? If somebody comes behind you in the parking lot at Oak Court Mall and puts a gun in your back, how quick is your hands going to go up? My wallet's in my right back pocket. Take everything you want. Just let me live. You know what? When we worship God, we're saying, I surrender. You know what? It doesn't have to be up here. It can just be, just move out of your sweet little comfort zone and just quit worrying about what everybody else thinks about you because everybody else is doing, their eyes are closed worshiping God anyway. They're not looking at you. They don't care what you got on today. I know there's a couple of folks that do that. Lord, look at that mess sister so-and-so got on. Put all that out. Lift your hearts. Don't just go through the motions. Let the words come from your heart and sing with passionate worship. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Whatever you sing, if it's a children's song, sing it with your heart. Let that worship flow. Kiss towards him. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Somebody say amen. Worship is the overflow of a changed life producing sacrificial devotion, thanksgiving, and praise for the goodness and the greatness of God. Quickly, quickly, I'm going to get these next two points, about three minutes each. Number one, number two, it's not about me. Look at your neighbor and say, it ain't about you anyhow. You know what? It's about the Father. Our, Our text said the Father seeks this. The Father, the Heavenly Father, the capital F, Heavenly Father, is looking for worshipers that will worship Him in this way, in spirit and in truth. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. What is a sacrifice of praise? That's when you do it when you don't feel like it. 
I mean, you know, David said, I will bless the Lord every now and then. His praise will sometimes be in my mouth. Is that what he said? No. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my, it's a sacrifice when you don't. I looked at Glenda this morning. We got here about 7.40 and we're rehearsing. We're warming up. We're trying to get everything right for the worship. And I just said, I said, Glenda, I'm telling you, I'm not feeling it today. I'm tired. I'm just, she said, you know, everybody has days like that. Mama said there'd be days like this. And we got into it. And just a few minutes into it, I was already entering in and worshiping and strength came. Faith arose. And I'll just tell you right now, if I end the message right now and say amen, I'll go home fulfilled because I know I have delivered the burden of the Lord. I feel good. It ain't about me. It's not about me. It's not whether I feel like it. It's not whether I was ever did that and how I was raised. Come on, learn something new. You may be an old dog, but you can still learn a new trick. Come on. We can learn to do something and express ourselves in some new ways. And guess what? When we do that, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. God creates the fruit of your lips, Isaiah says. Never, ever underestimate the power of your words, especially parents. Sure, sure, bring adjustment and correct your children when that's necessary. But my goodness, their whole life shouldn't always be a correction. It ought to be about you encouraging them because of a gifting you see in their lives, about a, a largeness of heart in a certain area, a compassion that you see in them, an ability to understand a certain, maybe they're mechanical, maybe they're artistic, maybe they're vocal, they're verbal, they, they, maybe they're funny. How I many you know God needs some, some comedians? And we, the body of Christ needs to learn to laugh. Help me, somebody. encouraging them, building them, strengthening them, lifting them up, learning to praise them in the right kind of way, using your words to create the fruit of your lips. Guess what? When I do that in this place and when I gather with you and we collectively put that together, we experience a corporate anointing, a presence, a manifest presence of the Holy Spirit that will come and convict people and challenge them and change them and heal them and restore them. You can leave going out of this place not feeling like you've been beat up by some angry preacher, but you know that God's on your side. You know you're not perfect, but you've got a God who loves you and is going to show you and redeem you and teach you even when you head down the wrong way. He'll jerk it back in and go, come on back in here, son. Come on back in here, daughter. How many of you thankful for a father that loves you that much? When we start to praise him, he shows up. Psalm 22.3 says, But thou art holy, O Lord, who inhabits the praises of your people. The Hebrew word for inhabit means to dwell, to sit down, to abide, to remain, to join to, to marry. And if he marries us, then we need to kiss toward him and our worship. And guess what? When God shows up, point number three, there's an atmospheric shift. Your circumstances don't have to stay the same. And I guarantee you they'll start to change when you can get a fresh perspective. And when you can shift the atmosphere, because all of a sudden you bring to bear the presence of the Holy One into that job where you have a belligerent boss or an idiot employee. Help us, Lord. Please don't be either one. Don't be the belligerent boss or the idiot employee. 
well, I'm a Christian and he is too, so he has to forgive me. He needs to fire your butts, what he needs to do. That wasn't the Holy Ghost, I'm sorry. That was Dennis the Menace. Let me just move on. Atmospheric shift happens when God shows up. I'm, I'm finishing. Zephaniah 317. Zephaniah. One of those little bitty old books over there before Matthew, Malachi. Back up, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Zephaniah, Zechariah, remember those over there. Zephaniah 317 says this. The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will joy over you with singing. He will rest in his love. Did you know you have a God who sings? You have a God who's so excited about you, Bo and Amanda, and what you guys are doing and building in your lives that he's singing over you. You have, you have a God who sings over you, Jamie, who's absolutely just so excited about what's happening in your lives that he's got your picture on his refrigerator in heaven. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will joy over you with singing. God walks around in heaven humming, going, hmm, that's my boy right there. That's my daughter. Psalm 149 says, The high praises of God in our mouths and the two-edged sword in our hands, and we will execute vengeance upon the heathen and judgments upon the people. We will bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. That sounds like some violent, vicious language. I'm not talking about people or nations. I'm talking about demonic principalities and strongholds. When you let the praise of God, the high praise of God be in your mouth, flesh and blood is not your enemy. People are not your problem. It's the spirit behind that person that's animating them and motivating them to do what they're doing that's convincing them that they're your enemy because God loves that person. He wants to redeem them. He wants to see repentance come. He wants you to forgive, which may be the key that unlocks the door that changes the relationship from an enemy to a friend. Ooh, that's so good right there. That's a message. That's a series right there. But it happens when I get the high praise of God in my mouth. And I can't praise him and out of one side and gossip out of the other. I can't gritch which is a southern word for gripe and something else. <laughs> I can't gritch out of one side and speak grace out of the other. Oh, y'all forgive me. I know some of you are just already mad because I said that. That's, but <laughs> it woke you up, okay? Get the high praise of God in your mouth. The atmosphere will shift. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants. Worship. I'm finished is the overflow of a changed life that produces sacrificial devotion and thanksgiving and praise for the goodness and the greatness of God. We've got a God who's crazy about us. and We walk around in defeat all the time, self-condemnation and self-hatred and self-loathing when God says, I sent my son to deal with that mess and you haven't let him deal with it yet. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Father, help us today in this place. We submit our hearts and our lives to you. We need you. Change us. 
Forgive us for living so far beneath our privilege and what you came to die so that we could have. And we're not just talking about stuff, but Lord, it's, it's a, a relationship, a communion with you that you would lead us and guide us and teach us and show us wisdom, give us knowledge, tell us secrets. The psalmist said, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. God, tell, tell every man and every woman this morning a secret. Tell them the secret of how much you love them in this place. Jesus, help us. We need you. If anything I said this morning in this message has resonated in your heart and stirred in you and you would say, Pastor, I know the Lord, but I'm struggling in an area and I, I, need, to, I need a revival. I need a fresh breakthrough in my life for passionate worship because I need the atmosphere to shift in my circumstances. Or maybe, maybe that's not you, but maybe you've never personally crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus, be my Savior, be Lord of my life. There is an indescribable universe out there waiting, a whole new heaven opens up to you when you take that step of faith across that line. Whether either one of those describes you or you just have a need and you would just say, Pastor, pray for me. If any of that is you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. And you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Right there in your seat, that can be an altar. I want you, nobody's looking. Slip your hand up right now and say, just Pastor, pray for me. Yes, immediately. One, two, yes. Three, four, five, six, or seven. Hands going up all over the room. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these men and these women, these boys and girls in this room today who've heard the importance of your presence. We need your spirit. We need your truth operating in our lives, and we look to you. I would like the whole congregation, if you would, to pray along with those who've lifted your hands. I want you to say this out loud. To verbalize it is to literally cut a covenant in the realm of the Spirit. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So that's what we're going to do right now. So let's say this together. Father, come on everybody, say it with me. Father, thank you for this word. I receive it. I receive the fire of the Spirit and the truth of your word. Change my heart. Change my life. I turn from my past. I turn to you in faith. Jesus, save me. I trust you. I lean into you, Holy Spirit. Let worship emerge from my heart. Shift the atmosphere in my circumstances. Be Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen.